Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name's Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to Thanksgiving weekend here in Wisconsin. Our panel is down. Rebecca Lynch, as uh, we have mentioned before, is on hiatus for the rest of the year, and uh, Robert Craig is with us, though. We're, we're, we'll be a two-person panel today, although we're going to have a couple of guests uh, this Thanksgiving weekend. Robert, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Robert, a course is our executive director here at citizen action robert it's uh it's thanksgiving weekend it's the time um you know you get together with family but you also maybe reflect back on uh the year and what you're thankful for robert what uh what is dr robert craig thankful for uh this year well i think uh i said this at our last our last staff meeting before the holiday that we ought to be thankful that even though we're frustrated by the current situation, that Scott Walker is no longer governor, and that Trump, if we do everything right, uh, need not be president in a year. In fact, next Thanksgiving, he should not be president. Maybe sooner. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to be thankful for. Um, I'll just say, look, I'm... First of all, I'm really happy to have four days. I think everybody this time of year could uh, could use four days off. Uh, uh, likewise, Robert, I, I'm thankful for that. I'm also really thankful and excited that 2020 is around the corner because I actually do believe uh, it, it's an exciting year and uh, big things are ahead. I'm also very thankful uh, for my family. I'm going to get to spend Thanksgiving with my entire family, which includes my sisters coming in from Australia, and another one's coming in from Boston, so I'm very much looking forward to that. But um, we hope everybody has a great, great weekend with family and friends and is enjoying a little bit of time away uh, from the hustle and bustle of work and regular life. But um, with that, Robert, we do have a Thanksgiving special. Um, we will not be heavy in um, current event details uh, this week. We're going to do a lot of focus on climate change. Um, we are going to have a follow-up conversation around what's been going on in the Milwaukee area around the Joint City-County Task Force. Uh, last week, we had Supreme Mora Mukunde on to talk about that from a perspective of a local elected here. And this week, we'll have our organizing organizer, Raphael Smith, who's leading the whole campaign around uh, the Climate uh, Task Force here in Milwaukee to come on and talk a little bit more about that. The second committee hearing was this week, and he'll tell you more about how you can get involved. We're also going to be joined by Kevin Kane here from Citizen Action, who is working on a very exciting project around the state where you can uh, tackle climate change on your own individually uh, through your house. But we'll have Kevin come on and talk more about that. Before we do, Robert, we do have one uh, current event topic that we have to talk about, and that's Foxconn. Uh, this week, I think, hopefully by now, uh, most of our listeners will have seen, and if you haven't, that's why we're talking about it, a study that came out this week um, that looked at the investment, I use quotes, air quotes there, into Foxconn and basically not only found and came to the conclusion that not only will this not not pay for itself, but the actual, this, this large investment is going to cost uh, billions of dollars of economic development, tens of billions of dollars of economic development over the next 15 years. Robert, this really shouldn't surprise us. Oh, by the way, it was a George Mason study. We'll have a link to it on the website uh, so folks can look more in the details. Robert, but this really shouldn't surprise us. This is some uh, basic economic uh, theory here about how these kinds of projects don't work 
like this. And, and this one, again, was a historic giveaway, Robert. I want to treat this new study with some caution. Uh, we've known this was a horrible investment since the beginning. I mean, I waited whatever it was, eight, nine hours to testify against it originally. And all the economic data showed that even if you believed their job creation numbers, what we were paying per job was six times more than the average, and that economic development itself, these corporate subsidies, are not shown to be an effective use of money for creating economic opportunity and prosperity. And, these, and this was six times, four to six times worse than the average of a very bad field where local and state governments hand over fist are giving away their precious resources needed to build prosperity just to companies that are playing them off each other, what amounts to an extortion racket. So this study, what's interesting, is from George Mason, Mason University. People may remember that's the university where um, a lot of right-wing thought has taken place because the Koch brothers have funded it, though it's a public university and has other scholars as well. But it's from the Mercatus Center, which is the Koch brother-funded one. Yep. It's the one that came out with the fake study that say that Medicaid expansion was a bad idea. So they're taking this from a conservative pro-market side, uh, but it's fascinating because it looks like a pure conservative pro-market side is as critical of this as a, pr a, a progressive economic analysis. And so they find not only that it won't pay off, uh, that it'll actually reduce economic activity. And they say also, which we have thought along, that even if Foxconn pulls out right now, we're still in the hole a billion dollars on this boondoggle. One of the things, and Robert, I'm glad you pointed out, it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, that this is a very conservative... Uh, study, um, I would argue it, its assumptions predetermine what it's, what it's going to find, but it's worth noting that these ac actually reflect conservative economic theory and how they would expect it to play out. And it, it actually reveals this to be far more damaging than one might have thought in terms of um, how it's going to impact the way other actors in the community uh, respond to having to pay higher taxes to make up for Foxconn and the fact that the local communities are in almost a billion dollars into this, uh, which it, they're at $911 million. And what this study also points out is something we've brought up numerous times. Uh, and it gets us to one of the bigger issues, Evers, and we need to work on. There is basically no corporate tax being paid by these companies to begin with. That because was the, the manufacturer egg, That's yeah. right. And so we, as we have described it, we are turning over bags of money to these people. And the study talks about that, that the largest portion of the deal, the $2.85 in refundable payroll and capital expenditure tax credits, it's basically an outright cash subsidy, they say, because they pay no state income taxes, right? And so essentially... If and when they start to hit their job uh, 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 targets, which let's remind everybody they didn't hit last year, um, that we're essentially turning over money to them, which uh, on the face of it seems like terrible economic policy. And if there was four billion for this, there was four billion for education. That's right. Four billion to answer to answer the climate crisis in a way that improves opportunity and, and economic equity, especially racial economic equity, that would have produced far more jobs by any of the economic models than t even taking the best case of Foxconn. Now, two things about this. this is the, the corporate subsidy game is bipartisan. Democratic cities do it as well. And Milwaukee just gave $2 million. Uh, no, our producer Brian said to Miller Coors, no, uh, just to remind you, that's Molson Coors, just to remind you. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, but $2 million because they needed it? 
And further proof of that, I think folks should be aware, even though I said we've it's Thanksgiving that Tony Evers is governor, not Scott Walker, that uh, according to press reports, the Evers administration and WEDEC, which he now controls, did not respond to press inquiries about this study. And furthermore, let us be aware that it did that the fact that the Koch Brothers Research Institute is against these sort that these sorts of massive subsidies didn't stop the Koch Brothers from trying to reelect Scott Walker. So the, the far right may it may seem like there's the possibility of a right left coalition against big corporate subsidies. It doesn't seem to play out. It seems like the Koch Brothers still try to elect people who will go and do a Foxconn, like Donald Trump and like Scott Walker. And it doesn't seem like a lot of Democrats are willing to take this stuff on for real. Well, I just so before we wrap this up, I we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about big things, big ideas, the Green New Deal, the idea that we face a climate catastrophe and it demands big thinking, big, massive restructuring. And here we are talking about Foxconn, which we now clearly see is a economic disaster. But again, this does beg. We need our state officials, right, our leaders here to lay out visions heading into 2020 that are at the scale of what we face and that match the vision that people are talking about, not only in the presidential, but like what AOC and other people on the left are talking about that is exciting people. Um, because legislating, please, we just saw, like we couldn't even get Badger Care expansion. We're not legislating a damn thing with this legislature, so we ought to be putting out stuff that shows our long-term vision, and this is a perfect example. Robert mentioned $4 billion. What's our vision of for something different that um, would spark a 21st century new economy that would have equal, uh, opportunity for all, Robert? And I know we're transitioning to the positive, which is better yep. for Thanksgiving, but let me also point out that the most recent State Audit Bureau report, and State Audit Bureau was not abolished by Walker and Voss and Fitzgerald, we have not abolished it. We still have independent agencies that do these assessments, found that the WEDEC job subsidies only return 34% of the promised jobs, yeah. and they're still getting the money, and we're not going after them. By the way, we're still going after college kids who can't pay back their inflated student loans, right, and going after all sorts of other folks in our society, but these companies that step up to the trough and promise a thousand jobs and produce a third of that are walking off with the money. Yeah, look, I, I think this is, uh, we need to be positive about this because the fact that this kind of money is available for this does demonstrate, right. again, it's just a constant reminder, everyone, that we could make other investments and it's very, very important um, that we start to have legislation in 2020 that reflects that vision uh, and gives people something uh, to be excited about uh, and why they should care about state legislative races. With that, we have got to wrap up this segment. We will be back. Um, we're going to be joined by Kevin Kane to tell, talk more about an uh, exciting new project we're doing where you can green your house. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action can find us at citizenaction.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we have uh, we've been talking about our organizing co-ops for a number of years, and uh, this year we've been talking about the growth of our co-ops into a new area of the state, as kind of known as the Driftless Area. And um, 
we have had the new organizer for that area, Ben Wilson, on. And again, if you're interested in joining our co-op in southwestern uh, Wisconsin, please contact Ben Wilson at ben.wilson at citizenactionwi.org. But we're really lucky to have a guest uh, for the next couple segments, uh, and that is Kevin Kane. Kevin is an organizer. He's a senior organizer. He's been with us a long time and has really helped uh, uh, come up with the organizing co-op model, but has a new, very exciting project that he's been working on around climate change and how folks can get involved in their own home helping fight climate change. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Good morning, everyone. So, Kevin, uh, just give our listeners, you know, the highlights of, of what you're up to uh, in, in western Wisconsin, but really, quite frankly, anywhere in the state of Wisconsin, so this whole thing came about a little while ago because as anybody who's spent a lot of time looking at Wisconsin politics has noted that rural communities have, have kind of um, uh, different both political opinion and, and just the way of, of life than those who live in, say, downtown Milwaukee or Madison. And that sort of distinction, that culture difference has really been exacerbated and, and, and uh, attacked by those on the other side uh, to really try to make it seem like we're somehow really different, like we don't all love uh, cheese, beer, and Packers or something. And... Um, so we've been really trying to dig into this in a very specific area of southwest, south central, western Wisconsin, the Driftless area, basically anywhere between uh, Lafayette County on our southern border all the way up to like River Falls. And uh, we've been doing a bunch of work in that area around La Crosse, between La Crosse and Madison. And one of the things we started asking really early on is, you know, when we asked people what did they want to fight for and work on, um, the issues of uh, flooding came up a ton. The whole area has been hit multiple times by floods and climate change exacerbated disasters. Uh, but also, like, people were concerned that their towns were, were drying up and disappearing. And there, there wasn't opportunity for young people to, to have good jobs and why would they stick around? And so... You know, we wanted to figure out, can you fight climate change, can you rebuild communities, and can you create good jobs in this whole area? And we learned two things in the process uh, by working with people. First is, is upgrading homes to become energy efficient, according to climate experts, is the number one single thing you can do to reduce uh, carbon emissions, even more than turning every car into an electric vehicle. I think that would surprise most people. Yeah. I, I must admit, like... That surprised me when I heard that. Not that I didn't think it was important, right? If you think about how much energy we all consume individually, mm -hmm. right? We are the problem. Yeah. Let's let's be clear. That it does start to make sense. But one, I think, initially just thinks of gas pollution, sure. cars, power plants, all of that. And and like the thing is, then suddenly the fixing climate change is not a far away problem. It's right here at home, and we can do something about it. And the second fascinating thing we learned is that in other states. Uh, utility companies and banks and credit unions have been leading the way at uh, helping moderate and middle income and working uh, Wisconsinites, working Americans, excuse me, uh, pay twenty, thirty thousand dollars to upgrade a house that they otherwise couldn't do by doing a type of uh, program where they basically say we will pay the upfront cost and split the savings with you, allowing us to create good jobs in the community fighting climate change. And so we tried to figure out, can you bring this to Wisconsin? Can you bring this to utility companies, to banks, to credit unions? And we've made a lot of progress, and we're already signing people up to do just that. So, Kevin, part of this is, as you're you know, the consummate organizer, part of this is a way in, right? To, to a big issue. That is to say, we all know as important it is for people to weatherize their houses and increase their effic efficiency, that that itself won't meet the UN climate targets we need to prevent a genocide, quite literally, and a threat to, the, to, to life on Earth, quite literally. And so 
Can you talk a little bit about how you're get, getting people by taking this personal action to also start taking the collective action of joining with others in order to uh, really take on our whole fossil fuel-based economy and transform it? Well, I guess once you start to realize that climate change is something that we can make headway on here, that we can't just rely on the individual actions of people to stop climate change, that we have to push for societal systemic changes by governments, by large financial institutions, by all these institutions, um, it sort of compels you to want to do something about it, especially when doing so would save you money on your utility bills, for example. I like that. Yeah, right. Uh, and so when we have been trying to calculate how do you make that giant groundswell, that momentum, that movement to make giant change, we got to get people who don't wake up every day thinking about climate change. I want the homeowners who are worried about how they're you know, going to pay their uh, heating bill in the, in the winter and electric bill in the summer excited about fighting climate change. I want the tradespeople in plumbing, electrical, heating, in insulation to recognize they are the frontline warriors against climate change and to start making them enthusiastic about fighting it because they are the ones who are going to be able to do that. And unfortunately, because we've not guaranteed good living wage jobs for many of them, of course that they're not as enthusiastic or not as able to, to take that enthusiasm as far as they should. So we are doing is building this momentum of people who don't already wake up and think about climate change and, and uh, carbon emissions and the rest of that to bring them into the, the conversation and the momentum uh, to fight for a difference. And you bring up a great point that is... People sometimes make it, we make artificial distinctions among progressives all the time between things that are in separate silos. We see communication and message as separate from organizing, where what is organizing other than a medium of very profound communication, one-on-one -on -one communication to, 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 to urge people to act on their values and make a commitment, right? So the messaging research is overwhelming that over-negativity shuts people down, right? And of course, climate is the most negative message imaginable. And so people need to feel positive about what they can do individually, but they also need to understand that it's collective action that this needs to be. The individual needs to lead the, the collective. But we know people kind of like environmentally conscious goods, right? Organic mattresses and other things like that, all sorts of things, Priuses, because it, it reflects something about you, at least certainly among progressives. You go to a progressive a meeting or a church or a, a meeting of environmental groups and you'll see lines of Priuses, right? And so I think what you're talking about is giving people agency. It's something they can start to do, but it's also positive in that you start to make some kind of progress rather than just talk about uh, our planet being doomed. About 40% of all carbon emissions in this country come from buildings, which means we literally cannot stop climate change without the trades. It can't be done. And so I really want to thank folks from uh, the, the IBEW, Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, uh, Painters and Allied Trades, Building Trades Council, uh, laborers, plumbers, the folks who have taught me just and taught us a ton about how do we actually get the people to do this line of work. It's one thing to say, let's throw money at it. It's another thing to say, hey, this would be a great idea if. Uh, but really, you got to get the people who are going to, to be doing that in the homes. Yeah, this, Kevin, I want you to just before the break, talk a little bit more about this, because this is really important, right? Um, this whole segment um, uh, of, of renewable energy retrofitting has been largely non-union and has not often gone with living wage, career ladder type jobs, in spite of some really big efforts of a number of unions um, in the aughts, especially when we had the uh, investment, uh, Obama, the stimulus. Um, 
And that's a huge issue because this could be a lot of work and actually good family supporting work where you're talking about careers that um, actually can green the economy. And so trying to figure out how we can actually have these kinds of jobs be union jobs is central. Uh, talk more about that, because I actually think that's that's fundamentally important. We can't do this work without making this good jobs. And we'll talk later in the show about how that relates to Milwaukee, but your thoughts on that? Well, frankly, I mean, if you have somebody who's crawling through a crawl space trying to blow in insulation, you kind of want that guy to have health insurance, uh, frankly. I mean, you want to make sure that these jobs are not making people's lives uh, more difficult, whether mold or paint chips or whatever the case may be. And we actually make sure that they're, they're compensated fairly because this is high-skilled work that has to be done. Right, we have to make sure that people are doing this correct, so that there aren't air leaks and that we're not, uh, you know, having problems down the line. But here's the thing: we learned recently that in Wisconsin, excuse me, in the Midwest, there's over 700,000 jobs in clean energy, and the majority of those are not solar panel or geothermal. It's an energy efficiency. Yet at the same time, the fastest growing jobs in the nation, the two fastest growing jobs in the nation, are solar panel installation and windmill technician, and those aren't even on the radar of the top 10 of Wisconsin which means that we are falling behind in places and creating good jobs out of these. And the folks who make sure that these are high-quality, good jobs, to me, has always meant union. So utilities, they are eventually going to have to enable a lot of this. And traditionally, they've been set up. The, 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 the investor-owned utilities, i.e. the Wall Street-owned utilities, right, have been set up in a way that they make their money off of depreciating, say, a coal fire plant forever, and they don't want to produce more renewable energy, and they're only looking at their bottom line and their stock prices and not, say, the future of our society or the planet. But can you talk about some of the things that uh, they could do and we need to force them to do? Because uh, I was talking about when you think about climate as a global problem, it's hard to get your hands around, but if you get down to what do we need to do locally that our organizing can influence in terms of the structure, utilities are a big, big part of it, right? And we will have to wait till after the break to hear from Kevin. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action, Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about how you can green your house, how we can use that as a basis to start work to start to continue organizing towards uh, the kind of world we need in order to uh, fight off genocide. Kevin, you were just going to answer a question Robert had asked around um, utility, utility. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Utilities. Kevin. So there's this theory amongst those who work in the utility industry or the utility sphere that we want to incentivize energy efficiency because it's good. It prevents us from you know, doing peak demand when it's summer and it's really hot and everyone wants to use electricity and things like that. But there's this idea that we got to have skin in the game. You got to have somebody, you can't just pay to put a solar panel on someone's home. They got to have skin in the game and they got to like, add their own uh, you know, time and energy into it or otherwise why would they value it? But here's the problem with that. We got to upgrade millions of homes. And we do not have time to think that, hey, if it was only the personal responsibility of this working person who's trying to figure out how to put food on their table and a roof over their head to also figure out how to make that energy-efficient home with a solar panel and all the rest of that, we're not going to fix climate change then. And we know that it's possible because in many other states, whether it's in rural south or Hawaii or any, all over the place, utility companies especially have been paying upfront 100% of the cost to upgrade people's homes and then splitting the savings with people uh, because 
they know exactly how much you're using both today and then tomorrow after you upgrade the house, and then they can track all that. So the key is financing, right? Yes. It makes money to make these investments. Utility companies have money. They get more than what they invested back, and the homeowner will save money. It's a win-win if they can be made to do it. I mean, I'm an economist, and one of the economists that I listen to, a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Robert Pollan, estimates that n internationally, every dollar you spend on energy efficiency pays itself back in three years. There is very, very few things that you can put a dollar into and get that back, and then some, uh, in that short amount of time. It's one of the best investments there are, and we can be doing these in small-town communities, big-town communities, depressed areas, and we can actually create jobs and upgrade people's homes anywhere. Well, I'm going to invest a dollar in uh, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's a good investment. He might pay back by the Super Bowl. Anyways, Kevin, getting seriously now, people are listening. We have statewide listenership. They're like, hell yeah, I want to do this. Like, <laughs> Kevin, how do, I, <laughs> how do I make this happen next week? We are going to keep fighting for everybody to make sure everyone has this chance to do this. Where we are currently is we believe that we can help over 100,000 households uh, right now upgrade their home and immediately save money. People who either have paid off their home or have a mortgage uh, a, with interest above a certain percentage um, that we believe that we can help, or those who are about to buy a house or have a rental unit. Um, if, if you want to know if you're one of them, we have a little survey on our website. You can figure out. You can look at the questions, determine if you're one of them. And if so, we can directly work with you to immediately add upgrades to your home, create good jobs, and save money from day one. Um, and that is at citizenactionwifund.org slash greenhomes. And with that, uh, you can find out if, which of these groups that you're a part of and if we can help you. And if we will, we'll get you across the finish line. So, Kevin, we're going to talk, you know, there's also, we have to adjust these climate and economic equity strategies to different regions that have different challenges. And Wisconsin's the kind of state that has both strong and large rural, suburban, and urban sectors. We're going to have Rafi Smith on our staff come and talk about our Milwaukee project later, but you're focusing in on the Driftless area, that huge area of western Wisconsin um, and it also, we're not doing the other states, but bleeds into Minnesota and Iowa and Illinois, but we're doing the Wisconsin part and especially the northern part of it, uh, developing this whole climate strategy there. And rural areas are in many ways losing ground economically. The urban-rural divide that has partly elected Scott Walker, it's partly because of rural resentment about uh, prosperity leaving them, resources leaving them, their children moving away for lack of jobs. So can you talk about how this plays, and, and you talked about a little bit at the beginning, a little bit more about the Driftless area and how this, and how this organizing around climate works there differently than, say, a Milwaukee or a Madison? Sure. So one of the things that the cities across the state and nation are doing is they're setting ambitious climate goals. Uh, Eau Claire, La Crosse, Madison, Milwaukee, many others have really been setting these ambitious goals. And that's great. And, and we've been part of that, and I'm excited to hear more about it later from Raphael Smith um, here in the Milwaukee County, Milwaukee City area. But what happens if you live in a small town? What happens if you don't, your city, you know, uh, Laval or Reedsburg or, um, you know, Viroqua or whatever, really wants to try to do that? They don't actually have a lot of the levers of power to push giant industries to create less carbon than they're creating now. Because many of these entities span multiple units of government, multiple ge geographic areas. Take one example. Scenic Rivers Rural Electric Co-op is a utility company that is member-governed, so members get to vote on the board of it. But this one utility company, Co-op, covers 
three counties, Crawford, Grant, and Lafayette counties uh, in southwest Wisconsin. And so, you know, one county alone cannot convince them to do anything. We want we would have to have people who are paying attention and urging their utility to make a difference. Yet these large-scale institutions, not quite at the state level, but control tremendous amount of uh, power, money, resources, decision-making, um, can and should be influenced because they're the ones that in often cases are buying coal power and, and uh, not creating these programs that have the chance to upgrade homes and buildings and government uh, uh, buildings and all that too. So by understanding the entities, both private and public, that we can influence in small town communities as well as large, then we can make a huge impact on these communities that really need the jobs and the upgrades. I mean, a lot of these homes are, in some cases, 50, 100 years old. This all has to do, Kevin, with organized people. None of us can do it alone by wearing vegan clothing and you know, locally sourced everything and riding our bikes to work, though I do that. but. I, I'm not, uh, no illusion that that's going to fix the climate crisis. So can you talk about how, what is the structure by which we're trying to organize people together to influence big institutions like we're electric co-ops and ultimately the big investor-owned co-ops. Uh, uh, we're, we're electric co-op utilities, but then also the big investor-owned utilities. Of course. So we continue to organize, as we have organized across the state, our, our Citizen Action Organizing Co-op. And what we've been doing in uh, southwest, western, even part of south-central Wisconsin, is really trying to do an urban-rural alliance, a, a what we're calling our Driftless Organizing Co-op. And uh, people can join us and learn a little bit more about this. Uh, if you live in a small or large town in uh, the Driftless region, we'd be love to love to work with you. We can basically consider it the 90-94 Highway 14 corridor is really where we've been spending a lot of time. So uh, it goes all the way from rural Dane County to the uh, Mississippi River, basically. Correct, yeah. yeah. And we've been working with people all throughout that region. And uh, part of it is because this area is super important politically. I mean, some national stories are not just saying southwest Wisconsin is going to be an impact, but like Sauk County specifically is going to be the decision maker as to whether Trump wins. And we've been spending a lot of time in places like that. It's the new Peoria. They used to say that uh, Peoria was how goes the country in an election. Yeah. Now it's Sauk County. And our theory is we want to work with people who are not your usual suspects, who we can get them excited about uh, a real deep organizing effort that is uh, accountable to them, that fights on the issues that matter to them, and can show uh, benefits to the community. And so by getting them involved in things like climate and, and housing upgrades and, and good job creation, we also want to figure out how to work with them to make sure they have a say in how to upgrade and, and fight for their community come political season, come bu state budget season, come wherever. And we urge them to join us uh, in our Driftless Organizing Co-op. You can reach out to Ben Wilson or myself. Our contact info will be included with this podcast, I assume. Absolutely. Um, Kevin, before you go, it's Thanksgiving weekend. We wanna, we're asking all of our guests, what are you most thankful for uh, this year or going forward? I'm most thankful for our, our members and supporters. I had a, a person I was talking to yesterday who, um, you know, it's like, I, I can't contribute that much time uh, because I'm about to go into holiday season. But she said that she's really thankful for us. She, she told us that. It was, it was the sweetest thing I had heard all day. And uh, in return, I, I, I want to thank all of you guys, who I don't always have the chance to talk to, uh, but do tremendous work. And, and if it wasn't for you, we, we couldn't do all of this. And uh, you know we, we hope you continue doing this throughout the year to make Wisconsin a better place to live and work. So I'm thankful for you. Well, look, there's 
nothing more important going on right now, particularly these areas, than trying to build people power, people organization. Um, so I really want to encourage you, if you are in the Driftless area in southwestern Wisconsin, that you do reach out to ben.wilson at citizenactionwi.org. But if what you heard from Kevin interests you anywhere throughout the state, particularly around um, getting your house completely retrofitted, um, please reach out to Kevin, kevin.kane at citizenactionwi.org. Let's make this happen. Kevin, we want to thank you so much for coming by and, and talking with us and uh, doing the organizing work you're doing. We just, it's obviously critical. Thank you all. With that, we're going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. When we come back, we are super excited to be joined by Raphael Smith, who's been leading the effort here in Milwaukee uh, with the Climate Task Force, which had another meeting this week. We'll get an update on that meeting, but then get right to it with, with Raphael about what all folks could do to be able to get involved here, particularly in the Milwaukee area. Uh, but we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Thanks for listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to encourage all of our listeners to participate in our annual meeting, which is going to be Saturday, December 7th, uh, starting at 1 o'clock in Milwaukee. Um, we'll have all the contact info on, uh, on the website, but then there's also going to be events in all of the regions of the state. But we really want to encourage folks uh, to participate in that. Uh, please look for the details on the website. Thank you again for listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Last week, uh, we were joined by Supreme Moore Mukunde, who talked about the um, new Milwaukee County City Task Force on Climate that is going to come up with a plan to make sure we can not only meet the Paris Accords, but actually make sure that they're implemented and funded in a way that addresses uh, the inequality uh, that we know exists in Milwaukee. So we are really fortunate uh, to have with us Raphael Smith. Raphael is uh, with us here at Citizen Action, and he is leading this whole effort here at the Milwaukee City and County. Raphael, first of all, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So um, this is your first time on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> so long time coming. Yeah. Oh, there we go. All right. Very good. Well, so Raphael, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about an update on what's happening with the uh, Climate Task Force uh, here in Milwaukee. I know it met this week, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. So so I guess Supreme already talked about the beginning of the, the he, task force. He laid a little bit of I, background and stuff, yeah. but really from more of a, what it's like as an elected official. And I'm you know, really hoping we could dive into, from an organizing perspective, mm. and trying to get this community organized around something as big and visionary as this. Right, right. So we met yesterday for our second time. Um, uh, the first time, uh, the first time the task force met, it was more of a, I'll say, uh, first day of school where everybody <laughs> got to know each other and get the name placards and look fancy. But yesterday we got down to work, and uh, I think one of the biggest things that came out of yesterday was the agreement to have uh, work groups form. And um, one of the most important work groups, and one I really pushed for, was the one for jobs and equity to make sure anything that came out of the the, the task force has a racial lens and make sure that you know, the people that benefit from it um, not just be concentrated in one area of the city, that the people uh, on the north and the south side also get to benefit from a just transition. 
let's talk more about that because I think that's one of the unique things that's a central tenant or part of this project. And, and quite frankly, um, if it isn't, like it's a huge mistake given that we know Milwaukee is has like nas national leading uh, disparities uh, in economic opportunity. And, and this is a massive restructuring of our economy, which seems like if we don't do this, like it's I mean, a shame it's, on it, us. Yeah, I mean, we all know what Milwaukee used to be. Uh, yep. uh, I was born and raised in the city in Harambe neighborhood, and I'm 34, and I grew up with just stories of how great Milwaukee was to be for an African American family, and especially uh, you know African American male. You can you know leave one job and in the afternoon and get another job that same day, and these was family supporting union jobs. I mean, went pensions at the end, and. It, you know, complete devastation of what happened with Reaganomics and deindustrialization has completely devastated the north side of Milwaukee. And uh, the lack of capital on the north side of Milwaukee is, is it's a tragedy. So uh, when we met earlier this year with Ashanti and Supreme, and we had the opportunity to come up with a joint city-county task force, one of the main goals wasn't just to address climate change, but to make sure that if we're gonna do something this big and this bold, that you have the opportunity, and we have the opportunity to actually bring somewhat of a renaissance to back to the city, the glory days of what it could be. Now that's that's a a big visionary goal, but I think this is our opportunity to really um, to make an impact economically uh, on the most devastated uh, areas of our city. Yeah, I mean, well, look, if if, if we're talking, you you mentioned the lack of. Uh, resources that are available currently. This this restructuring of the economy is going to be historic in the size and scale and the amount of uh, capital that it could it could be coming yeah. in, into the community. And if if we don't center that goal in this project, it will not happen. Right. If you're not intentional, we see this. If you're not intentional about uh, keeping the most marginalized people. Uh, in mind while you do it, when you create policy, you just recreate the, the same failures of the past. So it was so important for me, this, I mean, like the most existential crisis that we have currently in, uh, in our society is climate change. But when you look at the Maslow um, hierarchy of needs, it's hard for people on the North side to really care about climate change in the same way that somebody on, near Lake Drive could. But what they really do care about is making sure that you know, people have jobs, good paying jobs, right? So if we're not intentional about who benefits from it, we're just gonna just recreate the, the tragedies of the past. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, this is Robert. So there's like the broad scale of the inequity and the racism of climate change. And then there's getting it down to a local level, like a highly segregated, unequal area like Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. it, it's totally understated in climate discussion comes out too often as something that just white environmentalists are concerned about. But the people who are going to suffer from the genocide are disproportionately <laughs> black and brown people in the southern hemisphere. And even in this country, look what happened with Katrina, right? right? right. The folks who suffered were the people who were the historical victims and ongoing victims of, of structural racism. Let's, and not racist policy. Let's not forget Hurricane Sandy in Puerto Rico, you know, yeah. what happened, you know. Yeah. So you have that. You have to bear that in mind. But in addition, if you impose a colorblind, neutral policy on a system that is that is that that has been built with racist policies that still exist, 
that it, le it reproduces the inequality. So the classic example of this is John Powell, the professor at Berkeley, uh, had shown, as you like to give this example, that the GI Bill would seem to have helped everyone because it was available to everyone. Mm -hmm. But because of, his, of historical ongoing discrimination, white people were more able to take advantage than black uh, GIs mm -hmm. and, and veterans. And as a result, it actually increased inequality. Right. So it was helpful in terms of the overall economy, but it made the society even more unequal. Helping people buy homes uh, starting in the 30s and then especially at the World War II, because it was done in as a racist way, actually took the one thing that the American middle class built assets in a house and denied it mm -hmm. to the people who went in with the least. Right. And then furthermore, in 2009, black and brown folks lost the most in, the, in what mm -hmm. was criminal activity by the banks. Whatever the gains were of the boomer generation. Yeah was completely wiped out in 2008. And I let Sorry. me be clear, an African-American president bailed out the banks and not the folks who were the victims of the banks. Agreed. <laughs> and so we need to change that. And so what Rafi is talking about, and Rafi is like a huge leader on this in Milwaukee, is we're go we have to meet. I mean, there's, there's no, this isn't like, this is my issue, you have another issue. We, this is a species-level issue on climate. But the amount of inequality we have is something that no conscientious person sh should accept. Right. And so if you have to reconstruct the economy, there are two reasons to do it here, and you might as well do it at the same time. You might as well produce a massive number of jobs to rent a climate genocide that go to the people who have been frozen out of our economy. And if you don't do it intentionally and intervene in the current system, it will reproduce, as you're saying, current inequality. Right. So you... Uh You've stepped into it. You are now, I'm making the ask here, we want you to come back onto the show after every task force to give us an update because we want to stay on top of this. But it leads to my next question. One, how, so Sam, listening, and I'm in the Milwaukee area, how, how could I get involved? How can I start to be a part of this um, so that when the task force, as it goes along, it can be supported but then succeed. I assume at the back end of this, there's going to be big ideas that are going to require a lot of heavy lifting. How how does that the, happen, Raphael? But the back end is, the back end is important. Yep. But also, we want the community to be a part of it as it's being formed, right? Perfect. So the work groups are very important. Yesterday, coming out of the task force, we committed to four a start of four tasks. Uh, yeah, t four work groups that is open to the, the community if you want to be a part of them. Uh, I think I, I know two definitely right now. I'm sorry if I, I forget the other two. It's been a it's been a long uh, morning so far. But it's just jobs and equity and, uh, and finance is one, and I will make sure that Brian um, or whoever gets uh, gets the information where they can link to it in the weekly, and you can become part of our work group. But one of the most important things you can do is actually we gotta get the word out around the task force. So house parties is a major thing. So if you are willing to hold a house party around what we're doing with the Milwaukee Green New Deal and the task force, you can contact me. My, my email is going to be in the weekly. You can email me. or you can, um, Give that email. out so if they're listening. Gotcha. Raphael.smith at citizenactionwi.org. And there's a staff director on our website that has everyone's contact info if you get a letter wrong. But definitely uh, reach out because absolutely right. Like we, we have got to get people engaged in this because we have to build the kind of support momentum when 
you know, first of all, as as you said, to make sure that the process gets everyone's input and produces good out good suggestions. Um, we just got to make sure the political will is strong. That's right. Not weak, right? So we got to make sure these things are not just comes from a 13 members on a task force that this is a community demand. That's the only way we're going to get what we actually want out of this. So folks, please reach out to uh, Raphael and uh, get involved, and we are going to have him back uh, after the task force to keep us up to date and keep reminding people of how they can get plugged in at any time during this campaign. So with that, though, Raphael, it's, uh, it's Thanksgiving week. What are the one thing I'm asking everybody? What are you thankful for? You know, uh, it's going to sound cheesy, but uh, I'm really thankful for the growth. And uh, uh, I've been in this position for about a year and a half now. And I'm, you guys know, I, a year ago, if you asked me to be on the on the podcast, I would have told you no. And I think I did a couple <laughs> times. But uh, I'm growing into the role, and I'm really, uh, I'm really starting to really enjoy it at a, a deep level. So I'm just happy for the growth. Oh, that's that's Thanks awesome. For the growth. That's awesome. So we are going to have to wrap up the show, but we're going to, obviously, we're going to continue to talk about this. Rafael will be on. Uh, the task force is meeting, what, bi-weekly? Uh, yeah, so the task force uh, has agreed to meet two times a month. Uh, so, yeah. So wow. we want to have you on for an 11-minute segment every other week. So look forward to that going forward into the next year. But we have got to wrap this up, everybody. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, we want to thank Raphael Smith for joining us. We want to thank Kevin Kane for joining us. And, of course, we want to thank Brian Woldridge, who makes the podcast happen every week. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.